I still remember the first time I saw them. It was September 21st, 1998. I remember because I had to make the critical decision between watching my favorite show on TV, Ally McBeal, or watching a new show. Ally McBeal was in its second season, and it would be the second episode. And now, remember, 1998, this was long before there was easy-to-watch binge TV where you could just catch the episode or find it online. I didn't have a TiVo because I was a college student in my first year of college, just a few weeks in. I hadn't come out of the closet yet, and so the excitement around watching Will and Grace for the first time was one that I had to keep private. It was a difficult decision, again, after all, because Ally McBeal was in its second season with its second episode and was one of the top shows in the country. But there was this new upstart, Will and Grace. And it promised that people like me, or people that maybe one day would be like me, or maybe someday I could be like, were going to be on TV. I remember watching that episode and seeing for the first time Will Truman and Jack McFarland and thinking, I wonder if I'll ever be able to be a lawyer like Will on the show, or will I ever be happy being out like Jack was on the show? It took me another six months before I came out of the closet for the very first time, but I'll never forget watching that first episode on a Monday night at 9.30 p.m. of Will and Grace and thinking, huh, maybe there's something out there for me too. It made me think back to other shows that had the same effect on me, seeing Pedro in the third season of The Real World in 1994. I remember watching the episode of Ellen when she came out in 1997. And at the time, there was part of me that felt like I needed to push against it, that I needed to hate it, that I wasn't supposed to like it. And there was part of me that was hopeful that the world would say they were okay, because maybe they would say that I was okay too someday if I ever got the courage to be honest with myself, yet alone honest with everyone else. In this episode, I wanted to take a little bit of a shift and talk about visibility, to talk about why telling our story, why being honest, while creating a brand that actually is true to who you are and also true to who you should work with matters a lot. While being on stage and being ourselves is important, and that doesn't mean we need to walk across stage and come out with whatever thing we need to come out with, But it does mean that we can bring our energy and our realness to the different places we show up in presentations and boardrooms on stages on podcasts we have the chance to stand up and be heard and i realize that to some extent this is a privilege i have the privilege of being a white gay male living in the united states and living in probably the most progressive of states in these united states so i realize all of the privilege that comes along with that And I am thankful that that I have the ability to do that. And I also understand the responsibility that comes with that. The responsibility for standing up because I can. For being visible because I can. For saying, here's who I am so that maybe if there's someone else out there watching, they look like I did at those folks on those TV shows and say, maybe there's a chance for me someday. It isn't right for everybody, but if it is, then this episode is for you. We're going to talk about visibility. We're going to talk about some recent things that happened with uh, Pete Buttigieg as our uh, first openly gay candidate for president or running for president, uh, a little thing that happened. And I'm going to talk about a conference I was just at this week. A couple of people mentioned some things to me about me on stage, and I thought, huh, that's another interesting way to be honest and be out. So that's what's up on this episode of the Mic Drop Moment. Thanks for tuning in. 
so you have a story to tell. And you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Nino. Earlier this week, presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg was in Denver at a rally. And you can keep the politics aside, and whether you like him or don't like him doesn't really matter for the point of this story. They were taking questions that people had submitted in advance, and one came from nine-year-old Zachary Rowe. He said, would you help me tell the world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you. It went on to have Pete invite Zachary up on stage and told him that he didn't think he needed a lot of advice on bravery from Pete, that Zachary seemed pretty strong, and that it took him a long time to even tell his best friend that he was gay, let alone to go out there and tell the world. I read this while I was at dinner in Napa. I was speaking at a conference, and I was at dinner. I saw this on my phone, and I started bawling. Now, obviously, this story is close to my gay little heart in a way that it may not be for you, and that's totally okay. That's not what this episode is about, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking about visibility. It got me thinking about how important it is to see people like you out in the world, whether that is someone who is gay in a leadership role, a person of color, whether it's somebody who is a woman in a leadership role. It's important that we share these stories, that when we can and when we're able, then we share our stories. Fast forward to just last night, I gave the keynote on the, uh, to wrap up the second day of a three-day conference that I was taking part in. And one of the things I realized is my currency. I believe we all have currency when it comes to how we choose to be in the world. And one of the things that I realize is my currency in the world is that I'm really comfortable being myself in front of people. I'm comfortable being open and not worrying about myself too much on stage. I am there to connect and to be me and to kind of be as fully self-expressed as I can. And I realize the currency in that is that that is how a lot of people want to feel, that sometimes being in the room, even when it's 500 people, it allows all of the people in that room to feel a little more free to be themselves as well. It creates maybe a container of safety. And so while I am not the speaker who's going to make people cry and we're not going to sing songs together and we're not going to do a bunch of other things, I know that my currency and one of the things I'm really great at in the world is being willing to completely be honest in front of other people. And I know that that helps them do the same. So after I spoke last night, I was mad at myself for something I did. It's, you know, it comes par for the course. As much work as you do and as much coaching as I do with other people to help them be great storytellers and communicators on stage. Sometimes you leave the stage and you get mad because you didn't click at the right time or something you wanted to say you didn't say because it was a new thing you were doing just for this audience. So I was doing that. I went back to my room and gave myself a, a nice lashing for some mistake that I thought I'd made. And yes, I know better. And yes, it was probably fine. 
And so I went back downstairs. I'm pretty quick to lick my wounds and get over things. So I went back downstairs to the event. And as I was walking, there was a very uh, eager gentleman who saw me and waved me over. He he really wanted to talk to me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying this to brag, but that happens, right? When you get on stage, when you're in front of people, when you're, when you're you in front of people, uh, they love that. And so they want to meet you. They want to take a picture. They want to do those things. It happens for a lot of folks who do this type of work. Probably you. And so this man called me over and he said that he really wanted to talk to me because he had had this epiphany moment. Now, I won't go into his story here because he's not here to tell it and I'm not the one to tell his story, but I will tell you what it meant to me. He talked about how one activity that I had them do, I, I do this activity when I teach storytelling that's called What the Friction. It's about recognizing where the friction moments are in our stories. I always find that when we sit down to think of stories about how things started or what you were going through, we sometimes think so linearly about like, where was the beginning and how did it start so beautifully? And really, in reality, that's not how life is. Usually, where there is some friction, there is a good story. Friction leads to us making decisions. It talks about who was the old you and what was the new you and where did they bump up against each other. Times when you found a new job or times when you made a big change in your life, those are friction points and they're almost always a hotbed for story activity. So one of the things I have people do is explore the WTF, the what the friction moments of their life. So I asked this audience to do that in regards to why they do the work they do. Why are you in this job? A lot of times I find that when I ask people to tell a story about why they have the job they have, it's like a clean, beautiful story. It's like, oh yeah, I was walking along the street and I thought this would be amazing and so here I am and I love helping the world. But the reality is there was probably something deeper there. So we do a version like that and then later we go in and we kind of find the what the friction moment version. So this gentleman, after I had finished on stage, I got a standing ovation, by the way. Thank you very much to uh, that friendly, lovely audience. Doesn't always happen, but when it does, it really feeds your little little heart for a moment. But even with that, I still went upstairs and I gave myself a tongue lashing, a mental lashing for like whatever thing I thought I did wrong in my speech that day. I got over myself and then I went back downstairs to meet everybody. This guy with the eager eyes waved me over and he wanted to tell me uh, his story from the day. And I wasn't expecting what he said next. It was that he had had this epiphany, that he had had a moment during the What the Friction where he realized that what he thought was just a series of, I was in this job and then I had an opportunity to go to this job, was actually linked to something that happened to him when he was a young teenager of 13 or 14 years old. And how that had actually created this path that he was on and how there was this link, this through line from the time he was 13 or 14 years old to today as a 50-year-old man and how everything he had done had started in that moment and he never realized it. And now I don't know what that'll mean for him. I, I can only imagine that if you realize that and you explored it, you might have a new joie de vie for the way that you work, or you might be reinstated, or maybe you look at it and say, whoa, I'm doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. I don't know. But once you learn something like that, you can't just go back to life as normal. So he told me that. It also made me cry. We had this great conversation and and. I'm just a huge fan of his now for having the bravery to say that at this business conference. But what it reminded me again is that visibility, that showing up as ourselves in front of other people is sometimes the most radical, revolutionary, and therapeutic healing thing we can do. And for those of you who are more of my business audience folks who think I've seriously taken a sip of West LA woo-woo voodoo medicine, 
sorry, not sorry. I mean, the reality is this. We all have emotions. We all have emotional responses at some degree. And when we see something that we recognize, it resonates. And so I'm not saying that all of us in the middle of a sales conversation need to tell our woo was us vulnerability story. In fact, I find that sometimes to be really self-indulgent and not helpful at all because it's just a version of manipulating somebody. But what I'm talking about here is visibility. What I'm talking about is the power of showing up. Just like I was saying for myself with watching that first episode of Will and Grace in 1998 as a college freshman or seeing Pedro on the third season of Real World in 1994, there's something about seeing other people like us doing things. Maybe it's not even something we would like to do, but it gives us an option. Just like for me, seeing these characters on a TV show who were lawyers and happy and enjoying life in the city, it made me think maybe I could do that too, that I could have friends and I could be honest with them someday. And at the time, I wasn't like that. And I imagine that's the same power people feel when they see people like Oprah Winfrey or they watch speakers like Mel Robbins or my friend Laura Gassner-Odding, who was the first guest on the mic drop moment. When they see someone who is like them, doing something big, it's got to be powerful. I know it was for me. It opens up to options because we tend to live inside of the worlds that we see. And if we don't think it's possible, then we don't think we can do it. It's hard to imagine something that's never existed before. So if all we see in media and books and on stages are people who don't look like us, then it gets hard to imagine what's out there for us as well. This is representative of speakers on stage, of leaders in companies, of celebrities on television and in media, of authors who get their books published. All of these places are places where we need all of the voices who are able and willing to stand up and be heard. We need all of the people in charge of powering those voices to be willing to power them to let them be heard because there's power in visibility. In 2017, I wrote an article on Medium. I'll link it in the show notes for you as well, talking about visibility and why I had made the decision a long time ago uh, not to come out. I made that decision in 1999 as a 19-year-old, but why I made the decision always as a leader and eventually as a public speaker and an author and a public figure. That sounds really arrogant to say as somebody who has a website with their name on it, I guess that's what I'll say. Why I made the decision very early on to always be out to always when asked about my wife to correct that to my husband to always when asked about my wedding ring to talk about my husband to not water down my photos or any of those things. Again, I realize it's a privilege that I have that some people can't safely do that and keep their jobs. We still live in a country where in many, many of our states, you can be fired for being a gay man. I realize it's a privilege that I can do that because I am not a, a woman who is going to be looked down by their company for having children or something like that. I realize the privilege in that 100%. I'm, I'm awake to that and I see that. But when we can, where we can, being willing to show up, being willing to be more of our full human, fully self-expressed, 
that is something that is remarkably powerful for audiences. And this can happen anywhere from a breakout session to a sales pitch, just the opportunity to drop the script and be in the moment with people, to be willing to show up fully so they can show up fully. It's a powerful thing in so many places. And I was reminded of that again, like I said last night, doing this keynote from that man, from another woman who came up to me later and said how refreshing it was to be in a room with someone who obviously knew what they were doing. This is a this is a speech I give, but also was so in the room with them. Part of that is because I'm not worried about myself up there. I'm, I'm willing to fully be self-expressed. I, I have that privilege and I really dive into that. And there's something so strong about that. I think that it's very possible for so many of you out there listening to stand out because of the thing that makes you unique, because of the intersectionality that kind of makes you who you are, all of the things you've gone through. Those are all reasons that you can, you can be unique. There are reasons you can stand out, things you can own in a way that all the other things you maybe can't own, but your experiences, you can own those. And when you can, where you can, showing up with them is a really interesting way to stand out. And it also is a way that maybe someone out there looking at you as a leader, and I think we're all leaders in some way, someone's always watching, is remembering that someone might be watching. And so if you're able, if you can, how powerful would it be for someone else to see you stand up and say, this is who I am? So this week on our Wine and Wisdom Wednesday break, I wanted to uh, be thoughtful about what I served. I wanted to pick a wine like I do every week on the Wednesday episodes where I pair some kind of wisdom that I'm thinking about with a wine that I love. I wanted to be really thoughtful about choosing a wine that I've really loved for a long time, a wine that maybe was part of my story in a way that other wines were not. And so this week I have chosen a wine that is typically coming from Spain. It's called Albarino. And this is a wine that is typically going to come from the northwest corner of Spain. And just like the northwest of the United States, it's green and wet. And it feels way more like Celtic there than it does Spanish uh, dry and, and, uh, and sunny. And so this grape, Albarino, is pretty widely available now making a white wine, also called Albarino. And this was one of the very first wines I fell in love with. So I thought, we're talking about visibility, we're talking about connecting, then why not talk about Albarino? And specifically, the one that I'm trying today comes from a winery that is uh, owned, the owner of the winery is a gay man. I read about him in an article a couple of years ago as as one of the few gay winemakers. And uh, it comes from a small producer, and so I loved all of those things. And I thought those are all really cool ways of being visible. So this wine comes from Mercury Wine out of Geyserville, which is a Sonoma County area uh, just outside of Anderson Valley. Anderson Valley is kind of a hot little spot where they make a lot of cabs and a lot of uh, Zinfandels right there in Dry Creek. But the grapes from this, Albarino, are coming from Paso Robles, which is in the center. They make a lot of cool grapes there. They grow a lot of cool things, a lot of, uh, of Rhone-style blends, uh, blended grapes, Tempranillo you'll find there. And they're growing a lot of cool and interesting things. So they're buying these grapes. They're getting these grapes from Paso Robles. They're Albarino. It's 100%. This is the 2018 Mercury Wine Albarino that I'm having. Uh, Mercury Wine, you can check them out at mercurywine.com. I love this Albarino because I, I think Albarino is so 
expressive. It feels to me like a fully expressed wine, which is what I'm talking about today with being visible is being fully expressed to whatever capacity you can be. And so I thought this was kind of a fun one to try. And it's also here from from California. So you can you can order it. You can call up or look up mercurywine.com and get yourself a get yourself some juice if that's what you want to do. So I love Albarino. Again, it was one of the first wines I fell in love with. If you're a lover of Sauvignon Blanc, then this is going to be an easy one for you. If you're someone who's normally drinking Pinot Grigio, then maybe this is a little step up. It's going to be a little more um, a little more full flavored here. You're going to get some some uh, some weight to the mid palate. That's kind of like wine geek speak for it's just going to be a little a little weightier in your mouth. It doesn't mean it's going to be heavy. This is going to be like a big old, uh, you know, a big old juicy red or a Chardonnay or something like that. It just is going to have a little more weight than the Pinot Grigio that you might be drinking. So it's a good upgrade for you if that's what you're normally having. But again, if you love Sav Blanc, then you're going to you're gonna probably like Albarino if you haven't tried it. I think you should try this one. It's about 30 bucks from Mercury in Geyserville. Um, they make great, great wines. But you can also get Albarino you know, anywhere. Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, your grocery store is going to have some Albarino at this point. It became pretty popular. So this one is... Um, actually sees a little bit of oak, but it's neutral oak. So there's not a lot. It just adds maybe a little roundness to it. You're not going to notice any oakiness like you would with a Chardonnay that's going into new oak. Neutral oak means that they've used the oak for a little while. They've used it for, you know, a couple, one or two vintages. So it's not as strong. The The toasting factor isn't as strong, but it's going to add some softness to it. And so that's what you're getting with this. Uh, it's got this beautiful, like, lemony color going on, um, really nice and clear. And uh, in the nose, when you swirl it around and give it a sniff, that's what they mean when they say the nose or the bouquet. <laughs> it's going to be, um, you know, like kind of a green apple, like a like a Granny Smith green apple. A little bit of minerality coming off of here, a little, like, saltiness happening on the palate, which means when you drink it, like, what does it taste like on your tongue? Which is really a combination of what you're drinking on your tongue and what you're smelling. That's really what happens in your mouth. Um, it's like apples. It's not as much of a green apple anymore. It's like maybe more like a yellowish apple, still pretty crisp, like a, like a honey crisp apple. Um, and some like pear notes going on there. And I really love it. Again, it's a little more, has a little more body than a Pinot Grigio would, but not quite as like creamy and round as a Chardonnay would. This is going to go really great with, uh, with Asian food. It goes a lot great with a lot of food. It's one of those wines that really like makes your mouth water as soon as you kind of swirl it. And so your mouth watering gets you all hungry. And this is going to go great with, um, with anything spicy. This would be great with spicy Thai food. One of our favorite things, Phil and I, that we like to make with Albarino is our take on a pho salad. So, you know, pho, it's like the, the soup, the, the, you know, the noodles, the, the ramen soup, um, that you would find of Vietnam. And so we make a version that is a salad. So we take cabbage and mint and uh, make a nice big mix, cucumbers and jalapenos. We poach or kind of roast now, now that we're not eating meat as much, we'll like uh, roast some tofu with the spices you would normally find in the broth from the pho. So we're taking clove and star anise and cinnamon, and we're putting that around the tofu and roasting that up, um, pan searing it even, so that it's all nice and, and the tofu's a little more structured to it. 
And then you make a nice dressing, you put it all together, and then it's really great with a wine like this. But this also would be a great sushi wine if you're looking for something with sushi. Good with Thai food as well. You could probably even do some like funky Korean things with this wine. So check out Aberino. If you're into um if you're into Pinot Grigio, this would be like a little step up. If you love Sub Blanc, then this is perfect for you. As the air gets warmer out there, I know it's just late February when I'm recording this, but uh, this is a wine you're gonna want to look for. And if you can, check out these small producers like Mercury Wines in Geyserville because they're really doing some cool things. But I love Alberino. It's fully self-expressed, just like my favorite people. Don't miss a single mic drop. Subscribe to the Mic Drop Moment. All right, so we've been talking about visibility, about full self-expression, when you can try to do it. Uh, all the way back to uh, to when I was young and watching these folks on TV who were gay like I thought I might be someday and watching and thinking, can I have a happy life? I remember also seeing that in 2000 when Danny Roberts was uh, the star of Real World New Orleans. That was another person who was kind of pivotal in my journey. I also had a very similar uh, kind of feeling about a musician as I was as as I was already coming out and kind of figuring out who I was and how I could be with the world and how I should say what I wanted to say. Eric Hyman was one of those artists for me who helped me find words to how I felt. You can actually check more out about him in episode 13 of the Mic Drop Moment. I got to interview him in what was like an iconic, lovely moment in my life um, about kind of what what he taught me and how his art helped me kind of grow and, and be more comfortable with who I am. And I imagine there are people in your audiences, regardless of what kind of audiences you have, there are people who you showing up in the room is a radical act of self-expression and revolution for them. And it's an interesting thing to carry yourself that way to say, maybe today is the day that I show up. Maybe today is the day where I tell a personal story. At this conference, I was talking about storytelling and the impact it has on organizations, inside of organizations, that when we as leaders tell better stories, that we can change people's lives. And this doesn't mean that as a leader in an organization, you're supposed to walk around and talk about, uh, you know, whatever you want. But it does mean that you probably have the opportunity to be more honest about your experiences than you might be thinking. There might be room if you are speaking on stage, giving a keynote or a breakout to include some of your story, not to be self-indulgent and to deal with your issues on stage, but to just highlight how you came to be the person you are teaching what you're teaching, to share a story about a time you learned a lesson that might be helpful to them. Those are all opportunities we have to show up even more. And sometimes it's not even about doing any of that. And it's about just being so willing to be yourself, your honest, fully expressed self and other people, that can be an act of radical, revolutionary self-acceptance for someone else to see. So I encourage you, as you think about the stories you tell in your business, the stories you tell on stage, the stories you use when you coach people, or the story you're telling yourself before you walk out on stage in front of the world, what would it mean to the people watching you if they looked at you and said, if that person can do it, then maybe I can too. I think if you start to think of it that way, you'll find that there are so many ways for you to go out there and make a stamp on the world just by being you and just by showing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mic Drop Moment. 
I know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to the things you fill your ears and your head with, so it is certainly an honor that you hang out with me from time to time. If this is your first episode, I'd love it if you subscribed. If it's your multiple episode and you haven't subscribed, then what are you waiting for? Don't miss a mic drop moment with us. We'll be back with more episodes in the future. Thank you again for your time and your attention. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeDenino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeDenino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 